The reading is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that can be found on page 1189 in the Church Bibles. The Man of Lawlessness Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendour of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Stand firm. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you in this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. It was a long time ago now, but I shan't easily forget what I hope you're going to see on the screen in a moment. Yes, I was on a London bus. It was one of those old-fashioned buses now, where they took your money whilst you were still travelling. And I was standing, fumbling to get my money in front of the ticket machine... And all of a sudden, the driver took a sharp left-hand bend. Now, he had no intention of throwing me onto the floor, but that was what I was in danger of doing. So the only thing I could do was to grab onto the handrail 
and I was able to retain my feet and stand upright. You see, I could stand firm because I had something to hold on to. Now that's what this message is about. We can stand firm if we have something to hold on to. I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2 because we've been asked to look at the subject of how healthy is our church, the test of standing firm. And I want you to focus on 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Now, the background to this is the whole chapter, indeed the whole letter to, that Paul wrote to the church of the Thessalonians, because they were in danger, not just of being unsettled, but of falling into serious trouble. And so he is writing this letter to try to help them. If you were hoping to have a clear exposition of the man of lawlessness and the danger they faced, you've come on the wrong night. What we're going to look at tonight is the section from verse 13 to verse 17 of 2 Thessalonians 2, where we want to see how, whilst they were being unsettled by false teaching about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the evil influences that were at work, Paul says we have to deal with that by correcting the lies of the devil and holding on to the truth of the gospel. Now, we probably don't face the same kind of danger that they were facing in the beginning of this chapter. That's why we're not going to look at it. But we certainly do live in days when there are people who want to unsettle those who say they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who want to create situations because the devil is at work that might cause us to stumble and to fall into great trouble. So we're going to look tonight at the way in which Paul handles this. And the first thing we need to do is to say, what does it mean to stand firm? What it means to stand firm. And we have to take seriously that the Apostle Paul in this chapter really shows us that he believes in the reality of the person called Satan. Now, we don't live amongst people who believe this anymore, or that's medieval nonsense that nobody believes anymore to most of the people around us. But the Lord Jesus believed in the reality of Satan. He spoke to him. And the Apostle Paul believed in the reality of Satan because he sees all that's happening in his Christian life as part of a great battle against those spiritual powers. Just turn back a few pages in your Bible to Ephesians in that well-known passage in chapter 6 where he's talking about being strong in the Lord. He says, put on the whole, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand. That's what we're talking about now, isn't it? Taking our stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. It's all about standing up against these forces which are not obvious because they're spiritual but they're harmful, they're against us and they're working in the the darkness of this world and the Apostle Paul makes no apology for saying that what was happening to the Thessalonians, they it came through people, was in fact part of the devil's work to try to harm the church and spoil God's people. We must just quickly glance, we haven't time to go into detail at some of the ways he's doing that. On the same page as our text, on uh, page 1190, you will see that he says in verse 9 and 10, he says, The work of Satan will be displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Everything supernatural is not everything good. Things which cannot be explained, which the scientists can't explain, which are seemingly something beyond what we can do, can be from the devil. It can be something that he does. And he deliberately does some of those things in order to captivate people's minds and get hold of them and fascinate them. And so the result is that they're deceived. You're deceived when you think something is true, but it isn't true. Well, we have to be resisting such things. If you go back to the second verse of this chapter, You'll see he speaks there about their being easily unsettled or alarmed. Wrong teaching can be alarming. It can be something which disturbs us and we don't want to hear about these things. Now there was a particular kind of thing going wrong in this church where people were saying, well you know the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back in such, uh, immediately in a few days or weeks time There's no point in going to work because you'll never collect that pension. You'll never be able to collect even perhaps your wages at the end of the month. And so you stay at home. And the problem was, if you chapter 3.11, he says, we hear that some among you are idle. These people are not idle just for ordinary idleness, such as we can all show or see on a Monday morning. It's because these people are saying, it's not worth going to work. Because Jesus is coming back. Which is a lie, you see. It's all deceiving. And so he says we've got to stand firm against it. Now I was trying to think of some of the examples of the way in which uh, we are being attacked today. And I don't know what you you feel about this. We've heard something from the pastor this morning about some of these moral issues which we're finding God's standards are being undermined all the time. But the thing that gets to me is nearly every time I turn on the television, there's somebody wanting to tell me about evolution and about the way in which all this business that the Bible speaks about, God creating, that's all wrong. And these wonderful programs, I must admit they're magnificent in their colour. They show you a great deal about wildlife and so on. But the message is coming on all the time, isn't it? Don't believe the Bible's truth about the origin of the universe. It's all happened by chance. There in that primeval soup, somehow it all sparked into life and it all began. It seems to me a greater a leap of faith to begin in that, to believe in that than to believe in what the Bible says. But these things are so powerful, we get it all the time, 
And we have to recognize it's the, it is the, the, the devil himself who is deceiving and captivating people and it's unsettling people. Our young people uh, go to school and they hear all this as gospel truth. They go away to university. They hear even more clever people telling them this. This is an age in which we find the deceit of the devil happening all the time at this level. So what do we have to do? Well, Paul tells us, he says, we have to hold on to the truth. I like the way in which he expresses it here in verse 15. Because he says that this is something which they have received because he has passed it on to them. Hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Now what he's explaining here is that they shouldn't believe what Paul says just because Paul says it. He's saying, I didn't originate this. I'm passing on to you what was given to me. You all know, even the youngest of us knows, how past the parcel works, don't you? You receive it from one person, you hold it for as long as you dare, and then you pass it on to somebody else. Well, this is what Paul says is about the truth. He received it, and he passed it on. If you were to go back to the letter to the Galatians, you'll see he tells them explicitly, I want you to know, brothers, the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. God in Christ gave the message to Paul and Paul says, I've passed it on to you. It's God's truth, not Paul's truth. That's why it's true and that's why we have to hold on to it. You remember when we, when we come around the Lord's table and we read that Wonderful passage from 1 Corinthians 11. It begins by the Apostle Paul saying, I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. So when we have these people attacking us today with their ideas about how the world was started, ask yourself this question. Were they there when it happened? Were they there when it happened? Who was there when it happened? Well, God was there, wasn't he? God was there when it happened. And he's the one who's telling us what's true about it. Should we be listening to people who weren't there because it happened thousands and thousands of years ago? Or should we be listening to somebody who was there and who knows and says, I'm telling you the way in which God created this wonderful universe in which we live. I do get wearied with the people who tell me that the Bible is old-fashioned and irrelevant because it seems to me that the Bible is the only book that's explaining some of the terrible things that are going on today. There are sociologists, clever, sincere people, who are deeply worried about how child abuse can go on in the way that it does and how these things can apparently be continued by people who know it's wrong. Now, the Bible says we know why they can do that. 
We know why wars are not going to be solved easily and why trouble goes on in families and society can't solve its economic problems. It's because of something called sin. And if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in sin, you won't believe in hope and you won't believe in Christ and all the wonderful things that are promised. The cost of giving up our Bible and believing these lies is a very hard one indeed. No, Paul says, hold on to the truth which is for their age and our age too. But before we pass on from this, I just need to say one more thing about holding on. You can only hold on to something once you've received it. All the Flogget presenters give you the same advice. If Granny has left you some old paintings in the loft, don't get rid of them. Hold on to them. They'll be even more valuable in the future. The problem with all that advice to me is that Granny didn't leave me anything. And my loft has a lot of rubbish in it, but nothing that anybody would give me any money for, whether I left it for another hundred years. You have to receive something before you can hold on to it. So before we go any farther, we have to say to ourselves, have we received this truth from Jesus? It's all summed up, not in a clever series of ideas, but in the person of Jesus. He is the one who is the truth. He is the word of God. Have we received him? Now, these Thessalonians had received the message about Jesus. If you go back to chapter 1 of the first letter of Thessalonians, it says... They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait from his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. They had received this Jesus and his truth and his peace and his hope. Have we received this Jesus? Do we have this to hold on to which is not a set of ideas but is the person who is God and is the truth from us. If we haven't, then we should begin to do so. We should be saying to ourselves tonight, how do I receive Jesus? How do I have this God, this hope, this security in my life? That's one of the most important things for us to know. We have to receive him before we can hold on to him. Let's move on, shall we? I now want to look with you at verses 13 through to 17 at four reasons why we should stand firm. Four reasons why we should stand firm. The first of them you'll find in verse 13, and it's because of what God has done for us in the past. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. What has God done for us? God has chosen us to be his people. Before sin entered the world, before even the world was created, God made this plan. This plan about making a world and putting people in it and knowing that they were going to go wrong, he made a plan to save them by the truth of Jesus 
by what he did on the cross, by the work of his Holy Spirit, and the kind of things we're talking about here. And he says, we should thank God for this. This is one of the things we can hold on to, isn't it? What God has already done for us. Now, it is difficult, I know, that when we find in the Bible here this subject about God choosing some people, and uh, the word that's used for it is the word of election, like you have when you put your cross against somebody's name, the word election. That becomes a big problem for lots of people because they get their heads all mixed up by what it might mean that God chooses some and that doesn't choose others. All I want to say about that subject tonight is here it's for our assurance. Here it's to say to us, this is something you can hold on to because... If you look earlier at verse 12, we're not those people who will be condemned and who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness, but we are the people who can thank God because from the beginning God chose us to be saved. How do we know that? Because this sanctifying work of the Spirit, this work of the Spirit making us more like Jesus, this work while we're, as we believe in the truth and go on believing the truth, when that's going on in our lives, we can say, thank God. This is what he has done. This is something we can hold on to. Then verse 14. Because of what God has planned for us. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just a statement of facts. The gospel is a call. It's a call from sin and all that uncertainty to what? Nothing less than sharing in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we don't see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in everything around us today and in his church today. Not fully, but one day we shall. This is about the return of Jesus, isn't it? It's about the things that Jesus is going to do when he returns, when he's going to destroy this enemy we read about earlier in chapter 2. When the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back, his glory will fully be revealed. And for his people, he says, you're called to share in that. That's the hope that you have before you. No wonder it's something that can help people to hold on. Yesterday morning, I phoned a dear friend of mine who was a deacon in a church which I served in Hampshire. His wife is in a hospital in Lymington with terminal cancer. She was probably Jacqueline's closest friend we ever made in pastoral work. And what did we talk about? We talked about how his dear wife is and the family visiting. We talked about this. We talked about hope. We talked about what God has prepared for those who love him. We talked about the fact that though he's in a dark tunnel, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And what is that light? It's what God has planned for his people. That they're going to share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that when, he, when the resurrection of the dead takes place? What does it mean? It means new bodies. 
It means no death, no pain, no suffering. It means his people being gathered together in the glorious unity of the full glory of the church of Jesus Christ from every nation and generation. My friends, isn't this something to hold on to? When things are looking bleak and are looking bad. One of the commentators says, how interesting it is that what happens after verses 13 and 14, he says, with all those wonderful things, what God has done and what God has planned, you might expect the Apostle Paul to say, and say well, okay, now sit back and take it easy. He doesn't. He says, stand firm, hold on, because the gales are still going to come, the winds are going to still try to turn you and disturb you. The battle doesn't finish just because we have something to hold on to. So he goes on now in verse 16 to say, think about what God has given to us here. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, he loved us. And by his grace, he gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. You see, whatever else happens, we have this reality of his love. And you know what else where he writes, doesn't he, to the Christians going through troubles at Rome? He said, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is ours in Jesus Christ. He loved us. He has given us eternal encouragements. Notice that word eternal. It's not just the encouragements when things are going well. They're of an eternal character. They're the same all the time and all the future age to come. No wonder he calls it good hope. Our society is not known for its hope, is it? They're not sure how long it's going to take if the recession is going to end and when it's going to end and nobody can tell you what's going to happen about global warming and issues of that kind. They don't know. Christians say we already have a good hope given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this something that we can hold on to? Though the battle goes on, though the problems are still there, he says it's something which is characteristic of the Christian. You remember sometimes we use these words at the end of the service from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What great things God has given to us. Then in verse 17, what God can do for us. What God can do for us. You see, verse 16 and 17 are a kind of prayer. May God, who has done this, now do this. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. God can give us strength. That's what we need to hold on to, isn't it? We need strength to hold on. Even if the rock is firm, we need to hold on to it. It's something which is strength given to us by God. Yes, the devil is powerful, more powerful than us more clever than me, more experienced than any of us in tripping Christians up. But we have a God 
who he says here can strengthen you in every good deed and word. Look at chapter 3 and verse 3. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. This standing firm is not standing firm to be motionless. It's standing firm to carry on with the fight because we have the strength of God to enable us. The message in translating this section uses words like this. May Jesus himself and God our Father put a fresh heart in you, invigorate your work, and enliven your speech. Does this sound like someone who's about to sink? No. Strengthened by God with a fresh heart. Invigorated in your work this week. Enlivened in your speech for him. So let me come to some applications. How can we stand firm today to be a healthy church? Well, one of the things that I think we've got to recognize if we're going to be a healthy church is that the responsibility for the health of the church is not just in your hands. God has given to us men whom he has gifted to be supervisors, to be encouragers and helpers as elders in our church. And they should be concerned for the health of the church. When you pray for the elders' meetings, you do that, do you, when you see it there on the diary. When you pray for the elders' meeting, what are they talking about? They're talking about the health of the church. They're talking about how people are getting on in their spiritual battles and what are some of the issues that we have to face. And if from time to time they say and do things that you may not always understand why, it's because they're concerned for the health of the church. Now, one of the things that is interesting in the Bible, in the way in which the Apostle Paul writes his letters to these churches, he wants them to be healthy, is that he does give them positive teaching, but he also warns them when anything is likely to go wrong. Will you turn over just a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 4? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and imagine Timothy reading this letter, and all of a sudden he comes in verse 14 to this reference to a man he knows, Alexander the metal worker. He did me a great deal of harm, Paul says. The Lord will repay him of what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Sometimes for the health of the church, we need to be warned. We need to be told that not everything that passes the name of Jesus, passes to be in the name of Jesus, really is the truth of God. Don't forget, we saw here that the devil is a deceiver. And we may need people to tell us when things are going wrong. Then, when you have to move somewhere, maybe for a holiday, maybe to go to study, or maybe even you've got to move away, you expect the elders of the church to pray for you? Do you expect them to tell you where to go to church when you get there? Would you expect them to say to you, are you sure that's the right place to move to? Because we don't know of a good church in that area which will give you Bible teaching. If we're concerned for the health of people, we should be concerned for their diet. 
on what they're going to get. We should be concerned to make sure that people get good advice about good churches. You know there are some universities in in England where we can say we know there's a good church in that town where you'll get good food. There are others where we have to say, well, I'm not sure about that. Not every church that seems to be popular and intended by a lot of people is a church where you're going to hear the same gospel. Then this, this, this comes up even, even locally, doesn't it, this matter of how different interpretations of what the gospel is about happen to us. We, we want to do evangelism with other churches in the area, don't we? We want to show unity with other churches. But you know, not all churches that are called Christian and who even may want to identify with us, are preaching the same message. Were you, like me, astonished a few weeks ago to see those pictures on the television of a plastic box being held on the shoulders of people and brought into what was called a church in the belief that by putting your hand on a plastic box which contained the bones of a French nun, somehow God was going to be more likely to hear your prayers. My friends, that is not the gospel that we believe here, and that is not the gospel which is in the New Testament. We should have to say that we must unite gladly with those who share the same gospel. But there is something distinctly unhealthy about saying, oh, it's not loving to ask these questions It's not right to to query whether everyone who says that they believe the gospel really does. These are things which have to do with the health of the church. But let me move on to say a word or two now about how to be a healthy Christian. Because we are not elders, most of us. We don't have that responsibility, although we pray for them in theirs. What about our own lives? How can we be sure that we, even in a time when things are being rocky and difficult, are going to be able to hold on. Well, the first thing I want to say is we must make sure that we are really standing on the rock Christ Jesus. Nothing is more important than to say the message is about a person, the person of Christ. He is called the Word, he is called the Truth, he is called the Life, And he is the rock on which we ground our assurance. If we are not joined to him, no wonder we're going to get blown away. I was talking to a friend the other day who's just come back from holiday in the West Country. And the weather was awful. But she said, for once, I felt grateful that I had a bit more weight on me than my husband. I didn't feel I was going to get blown off the cliff like he was. We have to be sure that when other people are being blown away, we've got something to hold on to. And that must be the rock Christ Jesus. Then we must hold on to his word, mustn't we? We must hold on to his word. We have the word preached here. But we also have our Bibles at home, don't you? Do you know, there was, a, there was a survey done recently and it discovered that of people who go to evangelical churches, not people who don't go to church, people who go to evangelical churches, only a quarter of them open their Bible between one Sunday and the next and read it at home. 
Only a quarter, 27% in fact. We have the privilege of the Bible being preached here. We have the privilege of ways of helping us to read the Bible. Booklets like this and our friends from Scripture Union and uh, Good Book Company and other resources that we have. There are many resources we have to help us to read the Bible so that we can hold on to these things, not just on a Sunday, but we need this help of God day by day. And so we've got to be constantly holding on to God's word. Then the last thing is that we must go on praying for God's strength. It's God, he says here, who is able to strengthen you in every good deed and word. In fact, the word strengthen in verse 17 is the same root as the word stand in verse 15. We stand strong when we get the strength from the Lord. And for that, he is willing to strengthen us if we are willing to ask. Can we look back at the bus picture before we close? I don't know whether you could see the first time that there was a little notice on the window. It was probably too hard to read from where you were, so I put it on the top of the screen. It says, for your safety, please hold on. Paul is not saying this for his own sake. He's saying it for the sake of his friends in the church of the Thessalonians. For your safety, please hold on. That's what this message is about. And the devil will do all he can to unsettle you.